So just like an apple tree, right, uh, we should see some of the same kind of fruit in our lives, an external a fruit that people can enjoy, people can see, they can uh, experience. And it's important that this happens in our lives. And so uh, th- this whole month, we, the last month of November, some of December, we've been going through this, just to help us to have uh, some tools to be able to um, show others what, what it means to follow Christ. Um, this, this is what Paul says in Galatians 5. He says this, that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So in the book of Galatians, Paul's writing these people, this church that he went and started in, in the, the province of Galatia, and what happened is some people, have, some religious people have crept into the church and they were beginning to tell the Galatians that they had to go through all these different rituals and things to really make God happy. And he's saying, no, no, you're missing the point. If, if that's true, then Christ died for nothing. That's not, it, wouldn't have, it would have been better that he didn't die at all. He's saying, no, it's not that. And he says, in fact, it's, it's not about obeying all these rules and religion and, and, and rituals, but it's what we do with our faith through love that really counts. It's action. It's our, it's our love in action that makes a difference. And in the same chapters, he's addressing some of the issues in that church. He goes on and says this, that if, if you um, bite and devour each other, watch out, you'll be destroyed by each other. And this season for elections, this is why we did this series for this one verse right here, because we knew that during this season, it, there's a lot of potential for biting and devouring and fighting and, and for division. And we said if, for Jesus followers, we're not called to that, because uh, if you do, eventually you destroy each other, you destroy those relationships. We're called to something much better. And he says the entire law, the entire Bible, it's fulfilled in keeping one commandment, which is love your neighbor as yourself. So in the fruit of the Spirit, he's saying this is what you should see in somebody's life, right? That the only thing that counts is really is, is that love being expressed, right, to others. So he says the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. We've covered those so far, and today we're going to cover gentleness and self-control. And the reason we go through this is because um, the main evidence of maturity in anybody's life is always a growing love for God and for others. And so if there's not a growing love for God and others, then you're not maturing and we're missing out. And so last week, I'll just review the last two. And if you missed the other ones, I would encourage you to go back and catch up because I think they're very helpful. Uh, But last week, we said goodness. It's really what it is, is it's striving for the standard that God defines as good. In our culture, a lot of people say things that are good that God says are evil. And he says, no, don't follow that. Follow what I say is good. And then faithfulness is practicing the good stewardship that Jesus expects of his disciples. And so faithfulness is really, it's a reliable love. And, and notice how um, when you practice steward, good stewardship, it's actually goodness in itself. And so they tie together. And so he's saying, make sure you're, um, that you have God's correcting love, but you also have reliable love. You're faithful. You're consistent. All right? So those are the two we covered last week. So let's jump into today, which I'm excited about. These two, I think if you can get these two and, and let God work these two fruits in your life, you will become a better person. People want to be around you more. Um, people will enjoy, enjoy your company more often if you can get these two. And uh, so the first one, let's talk about gentleness, all right? This is what gentleness is. Gentleness is a complete awareness of self and others. So gentleness is a complete awareness of self and others. What I mean by that is, have you ever seen a really buff, muscular man, kind of like myself, right? Holding a little baby. <laughs> hey, you don't have to laugh so hard out there, right? Holding a little baby, right? So this big, big, macho, muscular guy holds this little baby, right? And the, the muscle in this guy could crush that baby if he wanted, but he doesn't. He holds it with tenderness and just really soft, right? That's gentleness. It's strength under control, all right? So it's, it's a complete awareness of self and others. So this muscular guy, he'd be like, okay, I can hurt this baby or I can help this baby. He's aware of what, what could take place with his actions. So he's really soft. Or maybe a better illustration would be a horse, right? So when a horse is, is, is not broken in, it's not tame, it's a wild horse, you don't really want to try to get on one of those, right? Because they would buck you off. It would, they, would, they would thrash you, right? Because they're, they're wild, 
They're, they haven't been tamed. But a tamed horse uh, would, would allow you to get on it and ride it. And it could even be used for good, like pulling things, um, using that strength for something good. Well, an average horse weighs about 1,000 pounds. So a horse compared to a person, that's no, that's no match, right? They can kill us. They can, they can hurt us really bad. But a tamed horse actually can do good. And we don't have to be necessarily afraid of those and be aware of them, right, but not afraid of them. Even though they could injure and kill us, they, it's, it's a strength under control because they've been tamed. And notice when you say tamed or wild, it's t- speaking about their nature. So before they were tamed, they were wild. That was their nature. Their nature was out of control. Their nature would be wild. But then when you break them in, they become tamed, which means their nature now is a tamed horse, which is a safe horse. And their strength is now under control. That's what gentleness is. See, a lot of people tend to think gentleness is weakness because it's compared to meekness, and they, they think it's weakness. No, it's, it's actually opposite. It's, it's, it's confidence. It's security in yourself. It's a maturity. But it's just a complete awareness of that strength, and you don't always have to prove it, right? So we use our strength to help solve problems, not to push people around. That's the difference. So we can say gentleness is actually a humble love. Gentleness and humble, uh, humility always go hand in hand. So it's a humble love, that we're aware of that. The opposite of that would be a, a self-righteous person who demands his rights for everything, right? It, it'd be a, a person that uh, has to make his voice or her voice known. Um, it, and their number one current concern of, a, of a, someone that's not gentle would be, what can others do to make my life better? How can others listen to me so they can accomplish something in my life? But a gentle person, their, their number one question is, what are my responsibilities and how can my actions help and not hurt others? What can I do to do that? So um, they did a survey Gallup did this survey with Christians to find out, out of all the fruit of the Spirit and some other virtues, um, where do they rank in, in Christians' life? And you know what was the last one in the list that, that ranked last? Can you guess? Yeah? So gentleness ranked last, last uh, on, the, on the entire list. This was the weakness in majority of Christians. And here's why. Because almost every single person that took that survey, they asked this one question, and this is what tanked the whole survey. Are you known as someone who raises their voice? See, a person who raises their voice and screams and yells and gets into, into these matches, they are lacking gentleness. And in the survey, everybody says, you know what, at times, yes, you're, I am somebody who raises my voice. And the reason it was such a low score is because people couldn't control the ability to con- what they say and how they say it, and they lashed out, right? So um, in, in this, I, I would ask the question, why do people have to yell and scream? Why do we get so uptight? Maybe because we're afraid people will, will walk, walk over us. Maybe we'll come across weak. Uh, maybe, maybe because of stress or things that are going on in this world, we have to demand our rights. Well, that's the opposite of gentleness when we become that. Maybe it's something in the past because maybe somebody's hurt, some, hurt us or done something to us and we're afraid it's going to be repeated, so we have to really demand that it's not. And, and we use our voice, right, to, to do that. So if we're somebody who raises our voice a lot, we're lacking in the fruit of gentleness. It's good news. We can correct that. All right, so we're going to talk about that today. So here's the thing about gentle people. Gentle people don't typically have a difficult time submitting to God and submitting to others. If you have a difficult time submitting to God and submitting to others, you are lacking in gentleness. Because gentle people typically don't have a very hard time being able to submit to others because they understand, like a horse, I could kill this person, but I'm going to actually do good with my strength rather than harm. And we do, and we, and we do that. So instead of demanding, and here's what's interesting about our culture. Um, people who typically demand gentleness of others, I, I, I would call it tolerance are a lot of times the most intolerant or the least gentle people. Have you noticed that? The ones who demand tolerance from everybody else typically are the ones that actually need it the most. Like they need the gentleness the most. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's what the religious people did to Jesus. It, it's, a, it's a self-righteousness that says, 
I'm more important than others. I'm the most important person in this room. It's, it's a, I, I'm, I'm going to demand my rights because I'm important. And gentleness tells us, no, no, you have to learn to control your strength and not cause more damage or more hurt, right? So um, we don't d- demand tolerance from everybody else. We, we give it. We, we just, we, we live it out. Um, and that's what Jesus invites us into. So Paul says this in, in Galatians, uh, brothers and sisters in chapter 6, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. So he's talking to Christians who would, what, maybe one of our brothers and sisters make, makes, messes up, and they're caught in, in just a, a, a horrible um, choice that they made, right? He says, if, if our job is to love them and gently restore them, help them to get back on track, right? They fall and they messed up. But he says, notice, you should do this gently, right? And then he goes on and says, but watch yourself or you also may be tempted in that same way. What is he saying? Gentleness is an awareness of what's going on. And people that aren't gentle with others that mess up, they're in danger of actually repeating that. That's what he's saying. You have to be, you have to be aware that you are, you are so close to becoming that person and the moment you think you're not is, the, is when you're the, in most danger. So somebody who, whatever the sin is, whatever the, the bad choice was, if you judge it and you don't help uh, restore them gently and be aware that you could be that person, you'll miss it. But what help, what's helped me to have gentleness with people is to understand this principle right here, is that at any moment when I'm talking to somebody who's messed up, that could be me because of one decision. So their stupid decision that led to a lot of pain could be a stupid decision that I make that could lead to a lot of pain. And if I'm not careful and I judge others because of it, I'm actually going to set myself up for a temptation in that same, same thing. And Paul's saying, hey, guys, when you're mature, just be aware. Be gentle with them and have an awareness of what's going on, right? Um, don't, be, don't be judgmental. Don't be self-righteous. Uh, help that person to be able to, to be restored. Uh, Matthew 5, Jesus says this, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So the word meek here is the same uh, word that Paul uses for gentleness. So blessed are the meek. They will inherit the earth. We hear meek and we think weak, but it's not. It's strength under control. And notice what Jesus says, that those that are gentle, there's a blessing that comes with being gentle. Um, Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer, gentle answer, turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Have you ever been in a moment, a heated conversation, and instead of a gentle word, it was a harsh word, and the conversation just got more, more escalated, right? That's what he's saying. Gentle people learn to say, hey, in this moment, I'm not going to, Raise my voice. I'm not going to throw more on the fire, more fear on the fire. I'm going to give a gentle response. It's about how we treat others. Uh, Matthew 11, Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. One of the reasons I love Sunday is because sometimes our week, it causes us to be weary. It causes us to take on burdens throughout the week. And he says, come to me if you're like that, and I'm going to give you rest. And notice what he says about what's going to take place. is He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am what? Gentle. And humble. And notice he talks about his nature. So Jesus talks about his nature as a person. He's saying, I'm gentle and I'm humble. What is he saying? I have all the power in the world, but yet I'm going to use that power in a, in, a, in a positive way, not a destructive way. And I'm humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, come, I'm gentle. And he tells about his nature and he wants to help us become that. So here's three things I know about gentle people, all right? And you're going to notice by the first one uh, that I find I think of myself as a gentle person. Here's what here, here's what they are. Uh, we are thoughtful, right? And my wife, hopefully she can attest to this, but I'm a very gentle person because um, I'm really strong. I really am, but I know how to control that strength, right? So uh, gentle people are thoughtful, all right? And sorry if that comes across arrogant. I'm not trying to be arrogant. <laughs> I guess I lose a little bit of humility there. Um, we are thoughtful. So gentle people are, are thoughtful, right? 
we assess the situation. We get the whole story before we just make a decision or, or, or make, uh, uh, say something, right? Gentle people typically assess it. It's the opposite of a bull in a china shop. You hear that, that phrase before? So there's a bull in a china shop. That bull has no restraint, no control. It's wild. It's going to cause a lot of damage, right? Well, gentle people aren't. They're thoughtful. They understand, hey, things around me are, are, are gentle. These people around me, they could be broken, so I'm going to be careful with this, right? Uh, thoughtful people, gentle people, they usually ask the question, this question a lot. How are you doing? How are you doing? And typically, people ask that question a lot. You actually want to be around them because they're concerned about you, right? Um, people that aren't gentle just talk a lot. But gentle people, usually they're thoughtful and they say, how are you doing, right? And they typically do things behind the scenes to try to encourage people and help people out. The second thing gentle people are is we are considerate. Gentle people are considerate of others, right? So we, we think about how our decisions are going to impact others. If we're making a decision that's going to impact others, we ask them what they think about it. We don't just make a decision and say, hey, deal with the, the, the outcomes, right? Um, we put ourselves in other people's shoes. So when I hear people talk about, you know, different people, leaders, uh, governor, mayor, president, a lot of times we, it makes an assumption that we could do better than all of them, right, that we'd be a better whatever. We don't always put ourselves in their shoes, though, to realize that there's a, there's a lot of a big burden they carry. And when we do put ourselves in other shoes, we actually make better decisions because instead of just assuming something, we actually begin to process and think and consider what might go off, what, what they might be going through. And because we're considerate, typically we, we know what energizes and what frustrates or sets people off. Now, a gentle person avoids frustration and setting people off, and we try to energize others, which the opposite, they, when they learn that tool, that weapon, they use it for more fighting, right? They push the buttons to get people more angry. So gentle people, thoughtful, they're considerate. And the third thing is we're calm. Gentle people are typically calm. Um, it's a quiet confidence. It's a quiet confidence that we don't have to raise our voice because at some point, when the time is right, we'll be able to speak what is true and what's right, and we'll be, make a b- bigger difference. How many, how many of you guys would say that a calm parent is more effective than a raging lunatic, right? Like a yelling parent. Anybody with me? We know this, but when our emotions get under control or out of control, sometimes we don't, in the moment, we don't rationally think through that. But a calm parent is much better than a, a crazy parent, than a, a frustrated, angry parent, right? And in fact, kids, if you look them in the eye, not just kids, just people in general, if you look them in the eye and speak calmly to them, it freaks them out. Like, so I'm looking at somebody in the audience right now, and if I just look in their eyes and just talk to them, it's kind of like, please look away, right? <laughs> like, I don't... Um, one of my students in our student ministry, she was in the first service, Alejandra. And, and as a student pastor, I would say, Ale, how are you doing? And I would look at her, and she'd be like, please stop looking into my soul. Because <laughs> it freaks them out, right? Because there's a calm and, a, and um, um, just, just that, that connection. Anyway, so calm, calmness helps. So this is what I know about gentle people, right? Um, and, and the thing I know about being calm is, and gentle is, if, if this is going to continue on in my life, I have to realize when I'm stressed out, because even I can you know, get frustrated and get mad, right? So I have to make sure I'm resting well, that I'm pacing myself, that I'm looking for the long haul. Like, I want to be a good pastor. I want to be a good father, be a good husband for the long haul, not just for the moment. That means I have to pace myself. So gentle people, are they're aware. There's, there's a lot of self-awareness, and there's a lot of control and, and uh, strength under control, right? So here's, here's the thing that I know about what's interesting about gentleness is if you lack this fruit, others will be afraid to tell you the truth. If you lack this fruit, others will be afraid to tell you the truth because they're going to be afraid that you're going to lash out them. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to, you're going to get angry with them so that they just avoid telling you the truth. And this is detrimental because these, some people in our lives, they actually can help us with the truth, but we don't hear it because uh, we're not, we don't give them the opportunity because we're not gentle. And we might smash them like a bull in a china shop, right? 
Uh, Andy Stanley says like this. I love this quote. He says, leaders who do not listen will eventually be surrounded by people who have nothing to say. The opposite of a gentle person is a proud person that just, just goes his way or her way. And those kind of people, eventually, they'll be surrounded by people that have nothing really to say. There's people that go along with it, people that just tell them what they want to hear. We can't be those kind of people. We have to be people that say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay attention to what God is asking me to do. Peter says this. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks, to, asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So if you're a Jesus follower, Peter's saying, hey, always be prepared to give this answer of the hope that you have. But notice he says, but do this with gentleness and respect. He's saying, you're not trying to win an argument. You're trying to win a heart. You're not trying to win an argument. You're trying to win a heart. He says, keep a clean conscience, right? Conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against you, against your good behavior in Christ, may be ashamed of their slander. So what he's saying, a gentle person is aware so that at some point, even when somebody's angry and, and opposes us, we speak in such a way that they're going to feel bad because we remain calm when they, they weren't, right? That we are saying, we, we don't want to just win the argument, we want to win a heart. So stop trying to win arguments and start trying to win hearts. In your marriage, in, your, in the workplace, in our country, and with our kids, stop trying to win arguments and start trying to win that person's heart. Paul says this to, in First Timothy, he's talking about leaders. And he says this, he says, whoever aspires to be a leader desires a noble task. Now the overseer, the leader, is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle. So not a, gentle, not a violent person, but a gentle person, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. And he goes on and says, he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him and that he must do so in a manner worth, worthy of full respect. I've seen people who made their, their family obey and, and by demanding, right? But they're not really worthy of respect. Somebody who leads well is worthy of respect. And he's saying, as leaders, you have to be gentle. Not angry, but gentle. And he goes on in the, in the second letter to Timothy. He says, flee the evil desires of a youth, so mature, grow up, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So grow up, mature in, in your relationship with God, right? And he says, don't have anything to do. And this is a great one, good for politics all the time. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. So it's only going to be a fight. So be aware. When you know a certain topic comes up, don't, don't just go with it. And the Lord's servants must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Okay? So don't be a fighter. Just do, Yeah, don't be resentful. Just keep going. He says opponents must be gently instructed. So there's going to be times in our life that people are not going to agree with us. And he says those, when, you, when that happens... When the, those, of those people who don't believe what we believe, they must be gently instructed, right, in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. So when we're going to talk to somebody who opposes us, do it gently, and that they will come to their senses, this is a good one, and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. So notice what Paul, what Paul is saying to, to Timothy. He says, there's people in your life that aren't going to agree with you. But he's saying, don't let anger overtake you. Don't, don't become angry with somebody who doesn't even know what they're doing. What he's saying is, uh, people in this world that have not submitted to Christ, they, they, they have not uh, asked God to forgive their sin, they're blinded to God. They're blinded to his truth. So why would you be angry with a blind person who's blind? Because they're blind, because they can't do anything different. He's saying, why would you be angry with a sinner who sins because that's all they know? He's saying, rather, learn to be gentle with others, to show them why you believe what you believe and what God's doing in your life, so that they will wake up, that their eyes will be opened, right? So he's saying, don't, don't just win an argument. Stop trying to win arguments and start trying to win hearts. So like 
Paul, like Peter, Paul is saying, it's not about winning an argument. And too many times we think winning the argument is the most important. And a lot of times you can win the argument and lose the relationship. Or you can learn to, to, to navigate that and learn to, to, to help others and win the relationship in the process. So gentleness in the life of Jesus is shown when, when um, they bring a woman who's caught in adultery. And the religious people say, here, this woman's going to be caught in adultery. Our law says we're supposed to stone her to death. Uh, so what do you say? And he says brilliantly, all right, whoever doesn't have any sin at all, you be the first to throw the stone. You start off the, 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 the sentence, sentencing. And everybody walks away from the oldest to the youngest, and they, they leave her alone. It's God showing gentleness. He has all the power in the universe to make this happen. And he says, in this moment, we're going to give up what you, what you don't deserve, but what you need, mercy and grace, right? So uh, there's a man uh, by the name of George Washington Carver um, who, is, who is a um, um, just historically just an amazing story of how um, he, he actually prayed and asked God for, for insight, how to, how to um, with, with agriculture and growing things. He figured out a lot of things to do with, with peanuts. Um, this is what he says. He says, how, how far you go in life depends on your being tender with the young, compassionate with the age, sympathetic with the striving, and tolerant of the weak and strong. Because someday in your life, you will have been all of these. His story, if you've never read it, it's pretty amazing. Right? He was born as a slave somewhere in 1860. They don't even know what year, right, because of the, the way they document all that. Um, his, his adversity. This guy had to, had to face a lot of adversity in life. And I think like during the season of COVID, during the season of elections, when we think our life is hard, you should go read stories like these guys, like, like his, George Washington Carver, to see how somebody can work through adversity, work through difficulty, against all odds, do some amazing, incredible things, right? Like what, what he figured out how to do with peanuts, like he attributes to God giving him insight and wisdom in this, but he figured out all these different uses of one simple thing. Is it, he, he took something that was just abundant and was able to figure out how to do other things. It's pretty amazing. Anyways, if you're ever in that rut where you think, like, your wife is the worst, go read stories like these, like, like George Washington Carver. It'll encourage you to say, to realize, like, you really don't have it as bad as sometimes we think we do, right? Um, all right, so that's gentleness. Um, I would encourage you. Oh, wait, let me tell one story, and then we'll go on to self-control, all right? So there's a story of a man in Texas I read about. Uh, this man, he wanted to build uh, some irrigation to put some sprinkler systems in his, in his property to, to water the grass. And he didn't really know how to do it, so he invited a friend who told me he knew how to do it. And so it turns out his friend didn't know how, just enough to, to make a mess. But they do it, and, and he thinks it's working. But after, after a few weeks, one day his neighbor comes over and just lays into him. And I guess what happened is the sprinkler, instead of spraying, spraying the grass, it was spraying his house, right? So shooting over the fence, getting the neighbor's house, and destroying the, the roof. And so the neighbor comes over just furious and mad that he would not, you know, take, he, he would do this. And so he lays into him, and, and the guy apologizes, and he fixes, he fixes the issue. Um, but he said he, he felt sick to his stomach after that encounter. Like, it just, it just hurt him. It hurt, it hurt his feelings, and it made him sick to his stomach. And so um, a few weeks later, there's another issue. One of the trees was coming over the, over the yard into his neighbor's yard, and, and it was an issue. So the neighbor comes over during the, the day, knocks on the door, and he's not home, so the wife answers. And he says, hey, there's an issue. Your tree is, you know, all that yada yada stuff going on. He said, please fix it. And she says, yeah, I'm sure my husband would have no issue fixing it. She says, but I have to tell you something, right? Um, um, and she confronts him with gentleness, and she says, um, you, I don't know if you know this, but um, you really hurt my, feeling, my husband's feelings. And he's like, what? And she spoke a calm truth to him um, in a way that would help him understand. She says, yeah, and, and she, she recalls and recaps what took place from, from his perspective, his, her husband's perspective. And the neighbor didn't realize he had crushed his neighbor. He didn't realize it. He was just frustrated. He was mad. And he, this is what he says. She must have got through to him because he, he says, you know, I'm sorry. I'm just a grumpy old man. Have him come and see me today. I apologize. 
And so the man says he went kind of afraid because typically there's a pattern of people like this, right? They're going to lash out and make it your fault and they're going to do all that. And so he goes and um, the man apologizes. And, and uh, because his wife confronted gently, confronted the man with the truth in gently in a gentle way. And they said, he said they both became better neighbors. One, because they realized that their words weigh a lot, but also that they both have something, a part in that to play. And so he said he realized whenever he's going to do something, he should, confer- he should ask his neighbors to make sure he's not going to lower the value of their property, right, to be a good neighbor. And he said he's learned a lot of uh, to, uh, principles of how to be a good neighbor because his wife had gentleness evident in her life. In our world, can you imagine if more of us had gentleness, that if we had that strength under control and to demand our rights, but we allowed God to work in us, it would be a better world. We'd be, we'd be better husbands, better wives, better employees, um, better Americans, and better Christians. So let gentleness grow in you, all right? All right, let's talk about self-control. That's the second one we're talking about today. Self-control is having power over self, over yourself. So if you have self-control, you have the ability to have power over yourself. The word uh, self-control in the Bible, it means sobriety, restraint, moderation in all areas of life. So you're not going to either extreme. You're kind of staying on the path that God asks you to go, right? And here's the thing about self-control. There's always a targeted, specific goal uh, that, that, that is attached to it. So it's always trying to achieve a specific goal. Um, when it, so, like, it, for example, it, it, it's tied to discipline. Um, if you're training for something, right, um, you're, you're training for something that's, that's down the road, there's going to be a lot of things that you abstain from and say no to because you're trying to get to that thing. So if you're running a marathon, right, you're going to say no to some junk food. You're going to say no to extra sleep because you need to get out and train, right? So it's, it's a discipline. I'm not just saying no to things but also saying yes to the important things. And so it's trying to reach a goal. So we can say self-discipline really is a disciplined love. It's, it's somebody who has love, but it's a disciplined love that's consistent, right, that you, you keep going. Uh, and we can say it like this. If you control self, you win. But if self controls you, you lose. If you can control yourself, you will win. But if yourself controls you all the time, you will lose. Galatians 5 says this, the flesh, for the flesh, and this is the word the Bible uses for self, flesh, right? So it's one of the enemies that we have, flesh, the world, and, and Satan, the, our enemy. These are the three major forces that really um, are trying to mess us up. And so Paul says the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. So he's saying there's this battle. And in Romans, he writes about it. He says, I want to do the right, what's right, but it seems like I'm not always doing it. And the things I don't want to do, I keep doing it over and over. Like, oh, man, this is a hard battle. So he's saying our flesh, it's always contrary to what God is asking us to do a lot of time. He's saying so there's a battle going on. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. For the flesh to, so, so he's saying we have to choose to be able to say, God, I want your help in this. So flesh, because a flesh is selfish. Flesh is selfish. It's always about self. It's always about the immediate gratification. It's always about what, what feels good right now. And he goes on and gives us a picture. So he's saying there's a choice we have to make here. We be self-controlled or we be out of control. The choice is ours. And, and he says, let me show you what it looks like to be out of control. For the acts of the flesh, this would be the fruits of the flesh, right? As contrary to the fruit of the spirit, they're obvious. Sexual immorality, there's no restraint here. Just kind of anything goes when it comes to sex. Impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of anger, uh, fits of uh, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. So he gives a list of all the things, and it's not, there's more to this that like you can add to it. The fruits of the flesh, the, the acts of the flesh. And he says, I warn you as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So he gives us a picture of culture that's out of control. If you look at our culture, there's a lot of those things that go on all the time, which means 
there's a culture that's out of control. We let flesh control rather than our self-control, right? He says, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So we can say it like this. Through Christ, through Christ we can practice self-control rather than being out of control. Through Christ, we can practice self-control rather than just being out of control. Especially like with, with gentleness, instead of just letting our, our mouth just go, right? We, we control that. Instead of just, just being, out, being, being out of control, we, we let him control us. Through Christ, we can practice this and let him control us. Proverbs 25 says this, Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. So he's saying when you have self-control, you actually keep the boundaries. This person keeps the boundaries of her life, or his life uh, stable and secure. Now, when you don't, you actually open up your life to more destruction and more damage. In this, in this culture, not having walls would mean no protection. It would mean be a, a, a lack of security and a lack of, 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 of hope in the future. So he's saying you have to have self-control. It's secure security for your life. Proverbs 16 says, Better a patient person than a warrior. One with self-control is one who takes... One with self-control than one who takes a city. So he's saying a greater victory in somebody's life is having self-control rather than just taking a victory, a city. So self-control is more important than being a strong warrior. This battle is harder than those other battles. He's saying this, this battle, self-control, controlling yourself, is more important than just having all the strength and be able to conquer all these other things. So help, help, have self-control. In fact, when we look at your life, I think if you look, look at your life, anything you're proud of, it took self-control. Anything you're proud of in your life that you would look back and say, for me, I rode 500 miles, right, the last few years, and I'm proud of that. But it takes a lot of discipline, which is self-control, to accomplish these things. Anything we do that we're proud of, any degree, any kind of um, uh, goal that we set out and uh, accomplished, it took self-control to get there. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? We should run in such a way as, as to get that prize. So run in such a way that you're going to get the prize also. He goes on and says, Therefore I do not. Oh, everyone competes in the games, goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. So we're, 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 God is calling us to something greater, right? Therefore I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I'm just, I'm just running to run. I don't fight and just box the air, right? I'm just beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself have not been disqualified for the prize. So it's not just about controlling others. It's not just about telling others what to do. It's saying, I'm going to control self and ask God to help me control self so that I can also win the prize. Titus, Paul, Paul writes another letter and he says this, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. So God gives all people the ability to have this thing, this grace, right? And he says it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So he's teaching us to say no to certain things so we can say yes to other things. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So notice what he does here. So he's saying if you're going to have self-control, you're going to be saying no to some things, but you're not just saying no to say no, because it's, you're, you're saying no so you can say yes to something else. So you have a greater yes out there than the no that you're saying no to. So if you want a, a six-pack, right, and I want a six-pack, we have to say no to certain foods and yes to some exercise, right? And if you don't say yes to that, or no to that, then you'll never get it. So it's not just saying no to something just to say no. It's saying no because there's something greater ahead. And this is what he's talking about when it comes to self-control. We have something greater to look forward to. 
So we don't give in to instant gratification because in the moment it might feel good, but it's not going to produce anything good in the future. She says, say no to that for the moment so you can have something better at the future. Something greater is at stake when we say no to in immediate gratification. Something greater is at stake when we say no to something that's immediate and, and, and feels good. He's saying there has to be a greater outcome, a greater uh, commitment, and a greater um, reason in your life if you're going to have self-control. Um, so I guess when, when, we're, when we're doing this, Paul's saying when you have to, to, to gauge this, here's some good questions to ask, right? What are the consequences? What are the consequences of, that, of this action? So I'm about to do something, right? I'm about to get in a fight with this person. What are the possible consequences of this action, right? Well, you might punch me, punch me out, right? Do I want to suffer the consequences of that action? If I'm bigger than him, maybe, right? If he's bigger than me, probably not. Um, are the consequences worth the action I'm about to do? And if the answer is no, then you don't do the action, right? So this can apply to anything with, with, with debt, with money. You know, Christmas is coming up. What are the consequences of going into debt? Well, I'm going to take a long time to pay it off. Is it worth it? Usually not. So let's have a more uh, humble Christmas, right? Let's, let's figure out be, ways to be creative. Um, it's going to apply to sex for people, right? What are the consequences of this? It's going to feel good, but what could it lead to? And a lot of times we don't pause enough to say, what, what is the outcome going to be? And Paul's saying, God helps us to do this. Say no to certain things, sometimes even good things, so we can say yes to something better. And he invites us into this. So if we're going to be people of self-control. We need to learn to pause long enough to say, God, where do you want to lead? What are you saying yes to? Paul says this in Galatians, but the fruit of the Spirit, it is love, it is joy, it is peace, it is patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness, and it's self-control. So the fruit of the Spirit, God wants to produce in us. Is this in your life? Do people get to enjoy the fruit of patience in your life? Do people get to enjoy the fruit of faithfulness in your life? Do people get to see the, the fruit of joy? Or like we talked about today, gentleness? Or is that lacking? And if it is, God is saying you're not allowing the Spirit to lead you. He goes on and says this, those who belong to Christ, right, they have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Here's the key to being self-controlled, is you have to say, you have to die to the flesh, die to those desires, those passions and desires, right? But you don't just do that, you, be, you walk with God. He says this, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. So what is he saying? It's not about trying harder, right? It's about yielding harder. So we live by the Spirit. It's, it's about walking with God. It's relationship. He's saying that when you, when you walk with God, you're not going to become conceited. You're not going to become um, somebody that's unbearable. You're going to have that gentleness. You're going to have this meekness about you. But self-control is not about trying harder. And this is where I think where we try, like maybe somebody struggles with alcohol or any kind of addiction. We tend to be like, I'm just going to beat it. I'm going to beat it. I've got to try harder. I've got to try harder. No. It comes to a point, self-control is really about God control. And it's us yielding harder, not trying harder. What does that mean? When we have the desire, we say, God, I have the desire, but I, desire, I want to desire what you have more than what I desire. And we yield to him. It's about surrender. And self-control that Paul talks about is it's a relationship. It's a walk. So instead of saying yes to whatever that addiction is, whatever that, that choices that you have, you say, God, I really want this, but would you help me to see what you want? And I want to say yes to that more importantly. And we let God control. We let God lead us. And that's what Paul's saying. If you want this, these fruit to be evident in your life, you have to walk in step with God to see this. So he's like this. I have the power through Christ to control myself. You have the power through Christ to control yourself. You can't do it without God. All of those things he listed, they can only be done with God's help. And he's saying you have the power because of what Christ has done on the cross to be able to control yourself. 
You have the power to be able to produce these things in your life. So here's my, here's my challenge for today, all right? My challenge is this. Would you give God control of your life? And this is an ongoing basis. It's a walk. It's a journey. If you're in a relationship with God, it means you're on a journey with him. You're walking with him, and you're allowing him to lead. You're yielding to what he says, trusting that he knows more. So we live by and pursue his standards, his goals, and his purposes. That's what it means to give God control, is that you yield to him, right? You live by his purposes, his standards, his goals, and you pursue all those things that, God, I want, I want to be the person you want me to be. So in our world, if we were more gentle and if we were more self-controlled, we would be better people. If we, if we allow God to work in our lives, we'll see that, that fruit evident in our lives. My prayer is people will see that in you and say, wow, there's something that's really enjoyable about you and not avoid you because you're not gentle or, not, or, or be afraid because you're out of control, right? But rather they'd say, I see something different in your life. So Matthew, read this scripture. I want to read it one more time. He said, come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So some of us today, maybe you're watching online, maybe you're here in the, in the Grove Central, and maybe this week you have a lot of burdens. Maybe there's been some conversation, some frustration, maybe things take place. Today, Jesus' invitation says, hey, if you're like this, would you come to me? I want to give you some rest. I love Sundays, but it doesn't just happen on Sundays. It can happen on a daily basis. When you realize that you're burdened, you're weary, you're overwhelmed, that you would say, God, I need your rest. Notice what he says. He says, take my yoke upon you. So take his yoke and learn from him. Notice when, when he says this, right? If you're going to take somebody else's yoke, the picture you would see like two animals harnessed together, right, that are plowing the ground. Well, another picture of yoke, which in Jesus' day, it meant a philosophy. It meant, it meant the way that you would live your life. So when he invites his disciples to come and follow him, he's saying, I want you to come and live my way of living. It's, it's, I'm the way. I'm going to show you how to do this. And so he's saying, if you're going to take my yoke, you have to put yours to the side. It means you have to let go of your own way. You stop doing it your way, and you try it my way. And he says, by the way, it's much lighter. My way is much lighter. It's going to lead to something that's better. And he empowers us to do this. So he says, learn from me, because he's gentle. He'll help us to be gentle. He's humble. He'll help us to be humble. And then when we do this, we'll find rest for our souls. You guys need to rest for your souls sometimes. Be gentle. Be humble of heart. Take his yoke. Take his philosophy, his way of living. Look at how Jesus lived and let that be the model for us. So he's saying, you'll find rest for your soul. For his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Would you do me a favor? Just close your eyes today and bow your head. And Maybe you're watching online. I want to give an opportunity for those that are in the room and those that are watching. Maybe you're, today you'd say, you know what? I'm not following Christ. I'm not yielding to him. I haven't surrendered. But today... I want to make that decision to let him lead my life. Maybe today you're in this room and you're burdened, you're overwhelmed, you're worried, wearied, and he wants to give you rest for your soul. And today you'd say, I need rest for my soul. I've been doing it my way for far too long. God, I want to do it your way. How many yield to you on a daily basis? How many yield to you? So if you're in this room or you're online and you're ready to make that decision, that commitment, take that step, I'd love to lead you in a prayer. In fact, that's you. Would you just lift your hand right here in the room? Let me know you're here. That's you. I'm going to say, God, I surrender to you. I let go. For you watching online, today if that's your heart, I'll lead you to prayer that just says, God, forgive me my my choices, my mistakes, my sins. Today I yield, I surrender to you. If that was you, would you pray this prayer with me? Those in the room, would you pray with us? Those that are praying, aren't praying alone. Say this, say this today. Say, Father God, today I invite you in to my life. 
forgive me of doing it my way. Forgive me of my mistakes, of my sins. Today, I say yes to your way. I choose you. I want to follow you. So help me to know you. Help me to follow your lead. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, dying that cross to give us an example of how to live. We say yes today. Help us to be gentle. Help us to be controlled. In Jesus' name we pray. So good. If you pray that prayer, I would just say thank you for praying that. Welcome to the family of God. In fact, if you pray that prayer, would you do me a favor? Today, there's a connection card. It's online. Uh, we'd love to send you some resources, free resources to help you take some next steps um, and just to help you on this journey. Right? Let us know. There's a place to check saying, I made a decision today. I'd love to follow up with uh, just an email saying, here's some next steps for you. If you don't have a church, we'd love for you to be part of the Grove and love to see you uh, grow and mature in your faith. All right.